Amen. Thank you, Joe. Um, good morning, gentlemen. Um, a good, hearty, uh, beautiful morning from uh, Fairhope, Alabama. Uh, I hope you're uh, in a, a safe place uh, in your bunker, and I'm glad you're tuned in. Um, in the words of Billy Graham, hundreds are watching by television this morning, and uh, we are glad that you're uh, tuned in. Buses are waiting, and uh, we'll ask you to come forward a little bit later. But uh, want to play some music uh, for you this morning, and um, you know uh, uh, I shared with you when we started this series that we would uh, put together a playlist uh, for wilderness seasons of all of our lives, and um, that uh, playlist has now grown to 15 songs, and um, Jeff has now posted it on uh, Spotify. Uh, so you can either go to our website, Men's Table, and just click on Into the Wilderness Playlist and listen to it there, or you can go directly to Spotify and just uh, do the search Into the Wilderness, um, and the playlist will come up. Um, and, uh, man, I, I, I have been uh, so encouraged the last two mornings. I've sat here on my patio in my own quiet time and uh, listened to these uh, 15 songs, and... Um, they are powerful, and certainly during this season, we need to be uh, watching or uh, listening to music a whole lot more than we're watching the news. Um, I guarantee the news will create anxiety uh, in you. You need just enough uh, <laughs> to know how to take care of yourself and cut the doggone thing off and either start listening to music or go walking or do both at the same time. Um, so music is an important part of our journey in the wilderness. And um, this morning, um, I want to offer you uh, a song that I hope, and hope will awaken your heart to what God has for us. It's one of my favorite songs uh, because I, I remember singing this, um, hearing this song um, in the um, little country church that I grew up in in East Tennessee. Uh, and the and Third Day uh, does this song, and I want to play uh, their version of it. I love it, I love it, I love it. And it's um, a song written by Fanny Crosby. Now, Fanny Crosby, some of you may not know, she wrote over 8,000 hymns and wrote over 1,000 non-religious songs. So she was a prolific songwriter and poet. But what's so unique about Fanny Crosby is, is not so much that she wrote songs, but... Uh, she lost her eyesight when she was six weeks old. So she lived all of her life, not able to see. But man, has there ever been an illustration of a person who lived out what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 1 when he said, quote, may you see with the eyes of your heart. Wow, what, what a metaphor. And Fanny Crosby certainly illustrates that for us. And especially through this song, Blessed Assurance, and man, do we need that during these days. May you hear the voice of God, Blessed Assurance, played by Third Day, written by Fanny Crosby. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine, no one of Taste of glory. 
Sons of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story. This is my song. Raising my sin. playlist typed out on a Word document, and if you would like to have that along with the videos off of YouTube that we've played each morning, just send me an email and I'll attach it and send that back to you. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. 
be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. A little pollen in my throat this morning. I'm not going through puberty again, but there's a little squeaky this morning. But uh, glad you're here, and we want to continue our series into the wilderness. And uh, as we've said consistently, um, I don't think there could be a more timely series, a more timely topic for us to be going through. Uh, because we're certainly in a kind of wilderness. Um, again, suffering wilderness is always relative. Uh, there's always people going through a lot rougher time um, and not nearly as rough as you're going through. It's always relative. But um, uh, trying to deal with pain or wilderness uh, suffering experiences by relativizing it uh, is not helpful. Uh, own it. It is what it is. Um, and when it hurts, say, ouch. Uh, and cry out to Jesus, blessed assurance. Follow with me uh, as we read our opening uh, paragraph, Into the Wilderness, there on your notes. Into the Wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of your life. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal, but God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. The only question is, do we have eyes to see it? Fanny Crosby would say, I see with the eyes of my heart. In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust him, he must present us with a moment of crisis. And since he wants us to seek help from him, he brings us through the wilderness to remove all other help first. When we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, God's provision, God's preparation. But remember Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. If that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, we can trust him in our own wilderness seasons. Let's journey together. And that's what we've been doing. Um, we're into our 15th week um, in this um, series. And um, this morning, we want to look at the, uh, the um, idea of the wilderness and the walking rock. The walking rock. But before we do that, um, I want you to uh, do some journaling. I want you to pick up your pen. And I have three questions for you. So let's engage. Um, open your journal, grab you a piece of paper, three questions just to engage your heart. First question that I'd ask you to respond to is what are you doing to take care of you and yours during this worldwide crisis? Now, this is the question I've consistently asked you uh, the last several weeks, and today is no different. I have to tell you uh, this story that uh, I kind of had um, – a crisis of anxiety myself um, um, Monday night. And Audrey, uh, our oldest, is here with us from Dallas, and she's doing all her counseling uh, on telehealth. And she and Carla were talking to me, and they, and they were confronting me about my own anxiety um, and um, uh, my own kind of um, level of energy. And when, when they get going, it's like my daughter and my wife leave, and it's like two aliens have dropped out of the sky from some foreign planet, and they are just hammering me. 
And I'm looking at him and I'm saying, you know, you look like my daughter and you look like my wife, but you're talking to me like some alien. And um, I really wanted to either hurt myself or hurt them because what they were saying to me had a lot of truth to it, but I didn't like it. Um, but I slept on it and I got up the next morning and the last two mornings I've sat here on the patio for three hours and just spent time with God. And that's what I've needed to do. Um, I was getting way too much uh, news myself, watching way too much, uh, television, getting way too anxious, worrying about finances, uh, worrying about, uh, when are we going to have another deer camp, another fish camp? Um, and my own anxiety was kind of spinning out of control. And so, guys, I would, I would say that this is the critical time that you've got to have your personal time with God. This is not a time to neglect that. Most of us have got a little more flexible time than we normally have. Make sure you're using that to anchor yourself in the Lord. And I've, as I say, I've been listening to the playlist every morning, journaling. Uh, I'm going through um, uh, Tim Keller's book, um, The Songs of Jesus. Uh, which is his uh, devotional through the Psalms. It's fantastic. Fantastic. It's what I've needed. Second question. What's challenging about being at home? <laughs> and, and I would say about everything. About everything. I mean, I am, I am so glad um, that my daughter is here and, and uh, I've got a nice, comfortable home. But man, this is stressful in and of itself uh, because somebody has moved my cheese and I don't like my cheese being moved. But what's stressful? Take a minute and just acknowledge that. And guys, again, as we've said consistently, a problem unacknowledged is a problem unresolved. In, in, in biblical terms, we just call it confession. God's given us a confessional faith. And if you don't acknowledge it, if I don't acknowledge, then I, I'm just kind of uh, dredging through life, unaware and unconscious. Acknowledge that. And then the third uh, and final question, um, who do you know that's in the wilderness? That's got to be about the easiest question I've ever asked you. Who's in the wilderness? We all are. Isn't, isn't it amazing? The whole world. One of the, one of the coolest things that I saw the other day that somebody posted on Facebook is this wonderful black family that were singing. He's got the whole world in his hands. And there was about 10 of them in a circle. And man, mama was singing lead. And baby brother, baby sister, grandpa, they were all in a circle. And they would take different parts of that song. Man, I, I was so blessed because, man, they sang that song like I've never heard um, this song before. Powerful. Everybody is in this together, and God's got the whole world in his hands. So let's dig in. The Walking Rock. The Walking Rock. Turn over with me um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 the rock that followed them. Again, I'm reading from the message. I think Jeff uh, has it posted there on your screen. And um, 
we're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and this is where the Apostle Paul draws reference to the wilderness experience um, of Moses giving uh, water to the people from a rock on two different occasions. So Paul knew this pa these passages in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Remember our history, friends, and be warned. All our ancestors were led by the providential cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. Now, Scripture is very clear that as the um, children of Israel were on this 40-day hike, that could have easily been an 11-day journey. Because if they would have crossed the Red Sea and just gone uh, northeast up the Mediterranean Sea, they could have been in Israel in 11 days. But God took them south, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and there was a literal cloud that followed them. Now, that's, that's significant in this passage. The cloud was literal. They went through the waters in a baptism like ours as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation life. They all ate and drank identical food and drink meals provided daily by God, the manna. They drank from the rock, God's fountain for them, now listen to this, that stayed with them wherever they were. Now that's Eugene Peterson's uh, wording. This is what it says in your study Bible, uh, more literal. A spiritual rock which followed them. A spiritual rock which followed them. Hmm. I wonder, was the rock literal like the cloud? Or is... Paul even just referring metaphorically, because then he goes on and he says, and the rock was Christ, living water, but just experiencing God's wonder and grace didn't seem to mean much. Most of them were defeated by temptation during the hard times in the desert, and God was not pleased. But what was the temptation? Man, you know, I feel like the guy with the trench coat. You know, I got watches, I got rings, <laughs> you know, I got anything you want. What were the temptations? You know, grumbling, I want to go back to Egypt, uh, let's make an idol, you know, which is, again, a, a way to understand our addictions. I mean, they were just all over the ballpark. They were as human as you and I. But what Paul is talking about there is a living rock. Again, um, water from a rock. The Bible says that the Israelites miraculously received water from a rock. On two occasions, Exodus 17, 1 through 7, it's on your notes, details that. Numbers chapter uh, 20, 1 through 14 is the other. And what happened there was Moses struck the rock and the water came out and it provided water from a rock. Paul is drawing um, a question here, the source of water. In 1 Corinthians 10.4, it reflects a common ancient interpretation that the Israelites were followed by a water source during their wilderness wanderings. Uh, John Byron, uh, in Biblical Archaeological Review, he says this, quote, Is that since Moses named both the rock of Rephidim 
and the one at Kadesh, Meribim, the logical conclusion was that both were one and the same rock and that it, therefore, must have accompanied Israel on their journey. Now, I mean, it's one thing for a cloud to kind of be floating on the journey over them, but a rock, a moving rock, who's ever heard of such a thing? And then certainly Paul anchors it in New Testament type language when he draws attention that the rock was Jesus. But was Paul speaking literally or figuratively? In the wilderness, who's with us? In the wilderness, a cloud that showed us that God is with us, and then even a rock that provided water. I want to show you um, a video clip. This is an amazing clip where science comes into play here. And it's about these 700-pound rocks that move across Death Valley over the desert floor. Literally does that. And the scientists have been perplexed by it for years. And one scientist kind of figured out what was going on. Watch this clip. California's Death Valley, known for both extreme heat and cold, is the land of many mysteries. One of them seems to be solved at last. Geologist Richard Norris and his cousin Jim Norris say they have figured out what's behind the so-called sailing stones phenomenon of Death Valley that has puzzled scientists for decades. A dry lake bed in the valley, known as the Racetrack Playa, has become famous for being dotted with hundreds of stones, some as heavy as 700 pounds, that move across the desert floor and leave long trails behind them. But until recently, nobody had been able to prove what actually makes the stones move. Richard Norris says the phenomenon had fascinated him for a while. For me, it was this business about, you know, all these funny parallel trails uh, that are Clearly, there's some sort of common force involved. Uh, and it's just one of these sort of geological mysteries that, like, everybody knows about, but we don't know about it. Miners who worked in Death Valley a century ago were among the first to report seeing rocks with trails behind them on the dry lake. Scientists have been developing theories to explain the mystery since the late 1940s. The Norrises were the first to scientifically verify the phenomenon by recording it on camera. The scientists set up a weather station and put GPS trackers on rocks with cameras around them. In December 2013, two years into the research, the rocks started to move. Rain had fallen the day before and it formed a pond with a thin layer of ice. You have beautiful sunny day, you have a frozen surface of the pond of this ice floating on, on a few inches of, uh, of liquid water. And uh, when ice breakup takes place, when the ice begins to melt just enough under the light breezes, that ice, big ice sheets drive the rocks in front of them uh, and just plow them along the bottom uh, of this uh, shallow pond. By the end of the day, some of the stones had moved over 200 feet. Mr. Norris says it's very rare that all these conditions are just right for movement to take place. And he compares his chance to observe it all with winning the lottery. 
actually seeing the process explains so much. It's like the scales fall from your eyes. You begin to figure out all these phenomena. And now we can go out there and read that playa, you know, all these tracks and trails and so forth. It now makes sense. So guys, um, is it literal or is it just a metaphor? Is it a figure of speech? Well, man, I tell you, when I see that, I'm, I'm led to believe that just like the cloud was literal, that the rock was literal. I don't know. I mean, scripture doesn't, you know, concretely say that, but science tells us that it's certainly possible. Um, so a rock accompanying the children of Israel to give them a picture of Jesus. Now, here's the question that I would ask you in our own wilderness. Where, where is Jesus now? There's certainly not going to be a rock uh, rolling down uh, the street behind you. Um, we have the rock in our hearts. The, uh, the rock continues to tell us that he is with us always. But where is Jesus now? There's no doubt that the world is broken. We live in a broken world. Where do you think Jesus is in all of this? Whether it's a stroke, a deadly virus, um, or just circumstances um, that are overwhelming, where, where is Jesus? I would, I would offer you um, two aspects of where Jesus is. One is I would suggest to you that he is weeping, that tears are significant. Tears are good. The story um, that comes to my mind in this is the story of Jesus and Lazarus. I mean, when Jesus was faced with good friends who were experiencing tragedy, um, he risked his own life. I mean, his disciples, once he gets the news of Lazarus' death, his disciples are saying, man, you can't go, go over there because the Jews are already uh, ready to kill you. And in verse um, 16 of chapter 11, and we're going to start with verse 17, but it's so funny after Jesus says he's going to Lazarus' house, I love what Thomas says. Now, most of us just associate uh, Thomas with after Jesus um, arose from the dead, he appeared to Thomas and invited Thomas, although the scripture never says that Thomas touched him. Uh, he, Jesus invited Thomas to touch him. But here's, here's one of, uh, another episode of Thomas. In verse 16, it says this. Um, as Jesus has said, come on, guys, let's go. That's when Thomas, the one called the twin, said to his companions, come along, we might as well die with him. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of hilarious. You know, it's like, okay, you know, let's just follow Jesus. And if he's going to die, I'm dying with him. And man, there, there, there's a lot of trust even in that. It's pretty cool. But now listen to this. It's a great narrative. Verse 17. When Jesus finally got there, he found Lazarus already four days dead. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only a couple of miles away. And many of the Jews were visiting 
Martha and Mary and sympathizing with them over their brother. Martha heard Jesus was coming and went out to meet him, and Mary remained in the house. Martha said, Master, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. That's kind of a twisted sort of shaming and trusting remark at the same time. You know, if you'd have been here, it wouldn't have happened, but we trust you. We think you can do something about it. Now, the narrative continues, but just for the sake of time, I want to jump down um, to verse 33. And when Jesus gets there and he understands much more experientially, not just kind of in his head, but he feels the pain of Mary especially. Verse 33 says this, when Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. And he said, where, do you, where did you put him? Now, why would he be angry? And I think he was anger at just the whole circumstance of pain. He wasn't anger, angry at them. He was angry at just the pain and suffering that the world goes through. And then, verse 34, Master, come and see. And they said, they, they, they told him to come and see. And now Jesus wept. It's the one Bible verse most of you have memorized. Jesus wept. But it's like he weeps over the suffering of the world. And the Jews said, look how deeply he loved him. And then it goes on and he he raises Lazarus from the dead. Guys, where where is Jesus in all of this um, virus plague? I believe he weeps. He understands the pain and the suffering, the heartache. He weeps. We have um, a Savior, a Lord and King that is deep, deep with empathy. He feels our pain and he weeps. So where's Jesus? He's weeping. Tears are good. Uh, Audrey, uh, again, my clone of her mother, daughter, asked me the other day in the midst of my kind of stubbornness and my self-pity and feeling sorry for myself, she said, Dad, when was the last time you cried? I mean, she's got wisdom beyond her own, and it kind of really perturbs me sometimes. And I said, well, I said, probably the last time I cried was probably at deer camp or fish camp because uh, one of the guy's stories always bring me to tears. And she said, but, Dad, when was the last time you cried for you? And now she sounded like a therapist in my house. And, um, guys, I, I'll tell you, when I got out here on the patio Tuesday morning and I spent – three hours with the Lord, um, I kind of felt like I was kind of having to get reacquainted with an old friend. And I wept um, for the first time in a long time. And I wept just listening to the music, letting my heart, my hard, cold, dead heart become softened to what the Lord was doing. Guys, I don't think, if we're not crying and weeping in some way through this experience, I think we're detached. Jesus weeps. You know what else I think uh, about where Jesus is? Is I think 
he's working. We've always said what it means to be a man is to take the initiative. Jesus is working during this time. Aslan is on the move. Perhaps he's offering us a forced rest, a strange sabbatical. Guys, I guarantee that there will be times ahead. We're going to get through this, and there will be a time in a few weeks, a few months, that you and I will wish that we had this kind of time. The, the, only, the biggest reason for me that this uh, time is uncomfortable is not that I have it, but it's like for some strange, crazy reason in my head, I can't do the things that I love doing or want to do. It's like recalibrate, get in the present, be here now. The reset button of our lives has been pushed. How might our complicated relationship with work and rest look different as we come back online? What Jesus is doing remains to be seen, but he's working. He's working. Receive each day as a gift, even during this wilderness time. So this, this final point, I, I would just ask you this question. Where are you with Jesus? If Jesus is following us the way a rock, a cloud, could go through the wilderness with the children of Israel, and he is weeping for us and, and with us, and he's working. He's not on vacation. He's not hunkered down. He is praying for us and with us, and he's working. Then where are you with Jesus? Where are you? And I would, I would say kind of the therefore, the al algebraic therefore um, uh, symbol. Where are you? Therefore, if Jesus is with us and he's weeping and working on our behalf, then our surrender to our Lord and King is critical. I want you to turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 22. And Matthew chapter 22 uh, may be one of the most important passages in all of Scripture because the Pharisees um, are in uh, one of those uh, traps that they set for Jesus, Matthew 22, verse 41. As the Pharisees were regrouping, Jesus caught them off balance with his own test question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Do you believe he's the Messiah? Is basically what, do you believe I'm the Messiah? And of course they said, we believe he's, David's son. Jesus replied, well, if the Christ is David's son, how do you explain that David, under inspiration, named Christ his master? And God said to my master, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, if David calls him master, how can he, at the same time, be his son? He's not David's son alone. He's his master. And that stumped them, literalists that they were unwilling to risk losing face again in one of these public verbal exchanges, they quit asking questions for good. 
And guys, as a mentor of mine said to me years ago, he said, when you stop asking questions, you're dead. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. It's just they quit asking questions. And it's the idea that every day, especially during these days, I need to surrender. And guys, I had not been surrendered. Uh, I had not been surrendered. And it's so critical during these days that we start every day on our knees, literally or figuratively. Um, I, I am I am resolute after my loving wife and daughter confronted me <laughs> that I have got uh, to be much more deliberate about my quiet time, my journaling time. You know, I talk a good game. I teach all you guys uh, to journal, uh, but I haven't been doing it myself. And it's like I had to get back to what I know to be the fundamentals. Surrender is critical. And then it's so important that where I'm, I am with Jesus is in the words of Fanny Crosby, blessed assurance that I'm assured. What grand assurance we enjoy as those who trust in the finished work of Jesus. Now, I want to take you to a passage that you probably haven't read in a long time. So turn over to the clean part of your Bible um, in Jude. Jude 24 and 25. Listen to this, Jude, assurance. And now to him who can keep you on your feet, even during the virus plague, standing tall in his bright presence, fresh and celebrating to our one God, only our only Savior, through Jesus Christ, our master, be glory, majesty, strength, and rule before all time and now into the end of all times. Yes, yes, that we're assured during these unusual days, like nothing that our uh, grandfathers and fathers and ourselves have ever experienced before, that we would be assured, as hard as it is to imagine, one day, you and I will present each of our children before your glorious uh, presence without fault and with, and with great joy. Zero guilt, no condemnation, just eternal celebration. Hallelujah. Whether it's through this pandemic, dying in our sleep at age 99 by a freak accident, or some other expression of your sovereignty, we are so grateful to say Jesus is our righteousness, and heaven holds our citizenship. Your peace is our anchor, and your joy is our strength. Guys, I really do believe that Jesus is the rock. But it's not about believing that Jesus is the rock. It's about experiencing him as the rock. Do I feel his presence? Do I really 
believe that he's weeping on my behalf in a way that actually brings tears to my eyes for myself, my struggle is real, and for those that I sit with, that I can weep. And that I can trust that God is working. But if I'm going to stay there, it is critical that I surrender every day. Uh, because, man, I do not like being out of control. I think we're all kind of control freaks. And yet, I surrender all is a daily manna receiving directive from God. And then to be assured, to be assured. Guys, I, I, I tell you, honestly, I, I have been afraid. I have truly been afraid during these days. You know, um, financial pressures. Um, I love my brothers, you know, not going to get to hang out, never get to do deer camp again, fish camp. I mean, dude, I mean, I can come up with some crazy, crazy fears and anxieties. It's irrational, um, but it's mine. They're my irrational thoughts, you know? But wow, the rock that follows us. Now guys, this is Holy Week. Monday, Thursday is today. Um, Good Friday, why, why in the world we call it Good Friday? I'll never know. It's Bad Friday, Bad Friday, but as Tony Campolo said in a famous message years ago, some of you have no idea who Tony Campolo is, uh, Friday's here, but Sunday's coming. And uh, he was a great orator, and nobody could preach that sermon like Tony Campolo. I trust you'll have a great Easter. Gather your family around, maybe even share these notes with them. Play a lot of music. May you weep your way through Easter, and may you trust that Jesus is the rock and you feel his presence. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, so grateful that we can spend this time together, uh, even uh, through this medium of uh, uh, internet and uh, live streaming and all that. Pray for each uh, man and uh, lady that's uh, watching and will watch this. And Father, we pray that it'll just bring us closer to the rock and that we will drink the living waters uh, that are the only way to truly be satisfied. Keep us safe uh, during this uh, virus plague. We love you. You're risen. He is risen. In his name we pray. Amen. Have a great, uh, great week. Be safe.